2: According to the Washington Post, quote, Alabama's 13 state prisons for male convicts, which house about 16,000 inmates, are overcrowded, understaffed, grotesque chambers of horrors, where beatings, rapes, and suicides are commonplace and systematically underreported, end quote. In April of last year, the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division uncovered torture, homicide, and sexual violence in Alabama prisons. Months later, in different facilities, two prisoners were beaten to death by staff. Prison officials told medical practitioners that one of the inmates injured himself falling from his bunk. A new Justice Department report, quote, concludes Alabama's prisons systematically flout the constitutional prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment, end quote. Alabama has dealt with years of lawsuits over its prisons. Alabama officials say that overcrowding and understaffing have contributed to the problems. The Justice Department notes that the system is 6,000 inmates over capacity. Further, correctional officer jobs are poorly paid and dangerous, and it's difficult to recruit and retain officers.
0: We received this urgent message from a supporter of Kevin Rashid Johnson, who is currently at Pendleton Correctional Facility here in Indiana. They said, quote, Just got off the phone with Rashid and he has still not received his property or the remainder of his life-sustaining medication. He hasn't had all of his medication since the incident where he was forced to defend himself that occurred on August 25th, 2020. This alone is enough, but what has me the most concerned is that he stated there are other recent developments in his current situation that he did not feel comfortable sharing with me over the phone as the calls are heavily monitored and recorded. He did state emphatically that at this point IDOC and the staff at Pendleton Correctional Facility are actively trying to kill him. These were his exact words. I am fearful for the safety of my comrade and partner and I'm asking everyone to please call and email. The prison and correction staff must know that we are watching and there will be serious consequence to pay should anything happen to Kevin Rashid Johnson while in their custody and care. Officers A. Long and R. Cochran have been central figures in the continued racist attacks against Rashid and the racially motivated STG label that was attached to him and his political party. We are asking that calls and emails be made to everyone, but correspondence to Dennis Regal, the warden, and Joseph Walters, the interstate compact administrator for the Virginia Department of Corrections, should increase. Supporters of Rashid can call them at Dennis Regal, the warden, at 765 778. 2107 or Regal at idoc.in.gov. That's d-r-e-a-g-l-e at idoc.in.gov. Or Joseph Walters, the Deputy Director for the Virginia Department of Corrections at joseph.walters at or 804-887-7982.
3: Missouri Governor Mike Parson wants minors as young as 12 years old to be tried as adults and wants to leave the decision up to judges and prosecutors. Parson is running for re-election in November and says he wants the General Assembly to crack down on violent crime. Missouri advocacy organizations say it's the wrong way to go. Two years ago, the so-called Raise the Age Bill passed in the General Assembly. It was a bipartisan agreement based on the assumption that keeping children in the juvenile system was optimal. The bill presents 17-year-olds from entering adult courts and prisons. People from a host of organizations signed a letter to the General Assembly quoting statistics showing that placing juveniles in adult prisons causes harm. Children in adult facilities are five times more likely to be sexually assaulted than children in juvenile facilities. Also, Children are two times more likely to undergo beatings by staff in adult facilities than in juvenile ones. Last, children incarcerated with adults are five times more likely to commit suicide than those in juvenile facilities.
0: Police foundations are private, nonprofit organizations that funnel dark money to law enforcement police foundations use those funds to help police acquire such things as surveillance technology, military weapons and SWAT team equipment. The Atlanta Police Foundation bought 12,000 surveillance cameras to monitor black neighborhoods. Just days after the police killing of Rayshard Brooks, the Coca-Cola funded police foundation gave every Atlanta police officer a $500 bonus. Thanks to the city's police chief, the Los Angeles Police Foundation asked Target to purchase invasive, controversial surveillance technology for the police department. In the past three years, the Philadelphia Police Foundation has spent nearly $1.5 million for such equipment as long guns, drones and ballistic helmets for the SWAT team. Police foundations don't operate just in big cities. Over 200 police foundations around the U.S. allow corporations to contribute to police departments outside of public funds. Those corporations are Verizon, Walmart, Starbucks, Amazon, Bank of America, Delta Airlines, Chevron, Wells Fargo, and Waffle House, to name a few. Civil rights organizations are calling on corporations to divest immediately from police foundations.
3: On December 3rd, the state of Tennessee intends to execute Purvis Payne despite his intellectual disability and the serious possibility that he's innocent of the murder he was sentenced for. According to the Innocence Project, quote, racism, hidden evidence, and intellectual disability were a recipe for wrongful conviction in the case, end quote. Racist stereotypes formed the basis of the prosecutor's argument. Payne, who is Black, had no criminal history and didn't know the victim as the prosecution asserted. Several problems with Payne's case should prevent Tennessee from conducting his execution. For decades, evidence was withheld from Payne's defense team. Some of that evidence included bloody items found in the victim's apartment that have never undergone DNA testing because the prosecutors didn't think they were part of the crime scene. Because of his intellectual disability, Payne's execution would violate the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution, which prohibits cruel and unusual punishment.
0: A law student and abolitionist in Madison, Wisconsin, was imprisoned last month after refusing to testify to a grand jury, which has been convened to repress the movement there. We first share a statement from Freedom Fighters Legal Support, and then a statement from the grand jury resistor. Freedom Fighters Legal Support writes, On Wednesday, August 19th, Jesse Shackelford, 28, was taken into federal custody at the Dane County Jail and joined a long history of grand jury resistors. He claimed his Fifth Amendment right to silence in order to protect himself and his community and in a strong stand against both this grand jury in particular and the grand jury process as an oppressive movement busting tactic for refusing to testify in front of a grand jury targeting the black liberation struggle and uprisings in Madison, Jesse was charged with civil contempt and was put in a cage. He is currently being held in solitary confinement. This was his second call to the federal grand jury convened by U.S. Attorney Scott Blader this summer. It is FFLS's understanding that Jesse is the first grand jury resistor nationally to be incarcerated in contempt as a result of the 2020 black liberation uprisings. Supporters gathered on Henry Street by foot and car to uplift Jesse as he entered the courthouse. A strong band remained until 4 p.m. when word was released that Jesse had been taken into custody at the Dane County Jail with a charge labeled federal contempt offense hold for U.S. Marshals. He has been held in civil contempt of court for continuing to refuse to speak after being granted use immunity. He could be held in federal custody for the duration of the grand jury up to another 16 months. We need to show Jesse and our community that we stand up and show out for everyone who resists this tool of state repression. Write to Jesse, send Jesse letters, cards, and postcards at the following address. Make sure you follow the mail guidelines listed on the Dane County Sheriff's Office mail page. It's essential for Jesse to have reminders of the impact he has made on us on the outside. Jesse Shackelford, 68871, Dane County Jail, 115 West Doty Street, D-O-T-Y, Madison, Wisconsin, 53703. And now this is Jesse's statement. The feds and Madison police are facilitating a coercive, manipulative operation to quash this movement for black liberation. They are playing a game, as they always have, a brutal, disgusting game where they steal away those raising their voices in dissent, torturing them, labeling them as felons, and doing everything they can to quiet them. If you support BLM, truly, you know this. You are here because you know this, because you know from the bottom of your heart and with full mental clarity that this system and the way it operates is not only the opposite of justice, but evil. The true real world embodiment of evil. A system that fills torture chambers with vastly disproportionate amounts of BIPOC, but will take anyone who raises their voice loud enough in opposition. I'm a white ally and not one to try to be the center of attention, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to convey this message, even though realistically I'm pretty nervous. To everyone i have met through the movement in the last several weeks and the friends i've made i'm thankful for every moment i've been in your presence learning and listening with you don't ever let them make you believe this fight is unjust It is the furthest thing from i came out here simply because i feel ethically bound to resist this racist fascist system i came because i'm a full abolitionist if you receive visits from federal agents or subpoenas to a grand jury please call the freedom fighters grand jury support line at 606-535-9907 for free legal support. If you are outside Wisconsin, please call the National Lawyers Guild Anti-Repression Hotline at 212-679-2811 to speak with an attorney at no cost. Remember that anything you say can and will be used against you and others, so it is advisable not to talk about anything you did, witnessed, or heard about with anyone but your attorney. Memorize the line, I will not speak without my attorney present. Up next, we share a segment produced in collaboration with our friends at Perilous Chronicle. They prepared these interviews with ICE detainees at Wind Correctional in Louisiana at the end of August and shared the following segment with us. Here it is.
3: Perilous
4: Chronicle is a digital research and media project, as well as an historical archive that documents prison uprisings, protests, strikes, and other disturbances within jails, prisons, and detention centers in the U.S. and Canada. Check us out at perilouschronicle.com and follow us on Twitter, at Perilous Prisons. In this episode, we cover a protest that began at Wynn Correctional in Louisiana. We were able to interview several detainees in the facility to talk about the protest and the conditions that sparked it, as well as an interview with Shane Bauer, the author and investigative journalist who worked undercover at the Wynn Correctional in 2015 and released a book about his experience titled American Prison.
5: If they kill me in the hole, I'll go out satisfied. Protest at Wynn Correctional.
1: On Sunday, August 2nd, Detainees in Elm Unit at the Wynn Correctional Center in Wynn Parish, Louisiana, launched a protest against indefinite detention and to demand action and information related to their cases. During the protest, detainees shouted and banged on food dishes. With limited options to have their voices heard, detainees resolved to take whatever action they could. One participant described the protest in an interview with Perilous Chronicle.
6: We, those detained here in Wind Correctional Center, were peacefully protesting. We're locked up. Practically, the only thing we can do is shout.
1: The demonstration spread widely within the facility. Detainees in all eight tiers of Elm Unit participated in the protest, And according to some detainees, the protest also spread to neighboring Ash Unit.
6: There are 38 people in the cell that I'm in. And in all the surrounding cells, people protested. At least 300 people and in the other bunker, ash. I'm an elm and an ash they protested as well. Approximately 300 people, more or less."
1: Said Lesmés Pérez Reyes, a Cuban asylum seeker. Detainees also made a banner out of a bedsheet that read freedom. Chemical weapons used against protesters. In response to the protest, guards operating under contract with Immigration and Customs Enforcement refused to negotiate and shot pepper spray into the unit, according to all eight detainees who spoke with perilous. All detainees spoke Spanish, and their testimonies were translated by Perilous.
6: We were hitting the plates we eat off of with spoons, just trying to get their attention. And they came and sprayed us with pepper spray. They put it in the air vents. That was their way of quieting us down. They could have done it a different way, but they preferred to do it that way. I don't care about what might happen to me. Let it happen. They can do the worst to me in this prison. If they kill me in the hole, I'll go out satisfied. But I'm going to denounce the crimes and abuses that are happening to us. Not just to me, but to all the people here."
1: Said Ivan Garcia. Regarding possible retaliation for speaking out about conditions at Wynn, Garcia is a Cuban detainee who says he has been incarcerated at Wynn for 15 months. ICE officials confirmed that OC spray was used against protesting detainees on Sunday. According to ICE, detainees participated in an impromptu protest at the Wynn Correctional Facility. After multiple attempts by contract staff to de-escalate the situation were unsuccessful, and as detainees continued to refuse to comply with numerous commands given by contract staff, the contract staff of the facility dispersed oleoresin capsicum, commonly referred to as O.C. spray. Some detainees reported vomiting blood after being sprayed.
6: On Friday, people passed out here inside. We asked them to look. that people had passed out, that they couldn't breathe, and they just laughed about how we were rolling around on the floor. They put pepper spray in the air vents and it went into the entire unit. There wasn't a way to avoid it. Some people were vomiting, some down on the floor. It's an injustice what they're doing to us here inside this prison.
1: Marilyn Navas, Lima's fiancé, said that Lima is asthmatic and that he could barely speak the next day when he called her. ICE officials added that, as part of established protocol, the Wynn Parish Sheriff's Department did respond to the facility, but did not enter the facility or interact with detainees in any manner. Detention with no end in sight. Wynn Correctional Center is operated by the private prison corporation LaSalle Corrections, which took over the facility from the Corrections Corporation of America in 2015. In May 2019, LaSalle signed a contract with ICE to house immigrant detainees as part of the vast immigration detention network that was spreading throughout Louisiana at the time. Louisiana has had more prisoner and detainee-led protests than in any other state in the country during the COVID-19 pandemic, according to data compiled by Perilous. The detainees reported a wide variety of conditions and abuses that motivated them to protest. They spoke of grievances related to the immigration and asylum process, as well as other conditions of their confinement when correctional. Complaints ranged from acts of disrespect and disruption on the part of guards, such as removing the microwave from the unit at random, or kicking detainees' beds when they're sleeping, to racism, systemic injustice, and human rights abuses. A profound sense of desperation permeates their testimonies. In some cases, they were literally begging for help. Most reported that they had no idea when their period of detention would end, and said their main motivation for the protest was demanding basic information about their cases, all reported being detained by ICE for a year or more, either awaiting deportation were awaiting the next steps in their deportation case. Detainees also mentioned the absence of ICE officials at the facility. When asked if ICE negotiated with them during the protest, Reyes responded,
6: ICE hasn't come here. That day, no official from ICE came. It was just police, guards, with pistols and pepper spray. The ICE officials say that every 45 days, ICE officials change prisons, But here, they've never shown their faces. We've never seen an official from ICE. What we wanted was at least for them to come to tell us what was going to happen, if they were going to deport us, if they were going to let us leave.
1: Several detainees reported wanting to be deported in order to escape the miserable conditions of ICE detention.
6: I lost my asylum request, and for 96 days, I've basically been a deportee, but they haven't deported me. They keep telling me I have to wait, What they're doing to us is a business.
5: The business of incarceration. Shane Bauer, who worked undercover as a guard at Wynn in 2015 to write his 2019 book, American Prison, Bauer, in an interview with Perilous, described how many of the conditions at the facility are the result of a private prison corporation trying to save money in any way possible. According to Bauer, in addition to awful conditions, the facility was in a constant state of unpredictability and disarray during his time there.
7: Even lunchtime was completely irregular. It could happen at 11 in the morning. It could happen at 3 p.m. Programs were always getting canceled. And the prison kept going on lockdown partially because there was not enough staff to run the prison. Um, you know, the, the company was paying $9 an hour at the time, and they had a hard time getting enough people to work there. So the prisoners would kind of pay the price for this.
5: Four years later, in 2019, starting pay at Wynn was just about $10 per an hour, according to the Times-Picayune. Since the facility signed a contract with ICE that year, starting pay rose to $18 per an hour. Wynn Parish Sheriff Cranford Jordan told the Associated Press in October that the influx of money from warehousing immigrants has been a blessing to the devastated rural economy of Louisiana. The rapid rise in the number of immigrant detainees housed in Louisiana is in large part due to the low per diem rate facilities in the state charge ICE. According to the Times Picayune, the average cost of housing an ICE detainee in Louisiana is about $65 per day as compared with the average national rate of $126 per day. Nonetheless, the influx of money does not seem to have improved conditions much, at least according to detainees at Wynn who spoke with Perilous. Some describe conditions in the facility as being worse than the conditions in the often war-torn places it initially fled to to come to the United States. And I think that if we had known, we wouldn't have come
6: and ended up in this hell we're living in. Mm-hmm.
4: Delays to Deportation Proceedings One of the main concerns the detainees expressed was the long delays and lack of clarity regarding their deportation proceedings.
6: What was happening, what we were requesting, was information regarding our cases.
4: Said Daniel Mejia, who is detained at Wynn and who said he has lived in the United States for more than 20 years.
6: There was a protest, let's say, on Sunday night. It was a protest to demand from ICE information about how our cases are proceeding with deportation. Because there are many people here that have deportation orders, and they've been waiting eight months to a year, waiting for their deportation, and they haven't been deported. I need to be deported. In my case, I need to be deported as soon as possible because I have my mom who is old and she is very sick, and I need to travel, leave here.
4: According to a recent report by the New York Times, ICE has continued to carry out deportations during the pandemic, including deportations of immigrants who tested positive for COVID-19 shortly before deportation. Nonetheless, detainees at Wynn report that ICE is holding many people for long periods of time instead of either deporting or releasing them.
6: They tell us we have to wait that they don't know if our country, which is Cuba, is going to accept us because of the pandemic. So we have to remain prisoners."
4: Said Garcia. In March, the Cuban government closed its borders to non-Cuban citizens as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, an order which it recently extended. Detainment during a pandemic. Another primary concern described by the detainees was the risk they faced being detained in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. In response to this risk, some protesters demanded their immediate release.
6: Simply, during the weekend, we were protesting the denial of our freedom. The coronavirus is here, and it's quarantine quarantine, quarantine day after day because of the coronavirus.
4: Said Lesmez Perez Reyes.
6: The conditions here because of the pandemic... There aren't masks. We aren't in adequate conditions to survive. Said Lima. There are 22 active
4: cases of COVID-19 at wind correctional, according to statistics maintained by ICE. But detainees at other ICE-contracted facilities report unwillingness to be tested out of fear of being transferred to medical quarantine units, where conditions are often much worse. Shamoy Edwards, an ICE detainee who was recently released from the Etowah County Jail in Alabama, said that officers at the facility use the threat of medical isolation to prevent people from asking to be tested for the virus. One factor that motivates detainees in particular, he said, is the threat of restricted use of law library during a medical quarantine that results from testing positive for COVID-19. These are a lot of individuals at the last stage of their immigration proceedings, so at any moment they would have to go to that law library and put in an emergency stay of removal so they won't get deported, Edwards said in his interview. They let us know so that individuals do not get tested, because if they get tested, I feel like there would be close to 80 people at Etowah that's currently sick, and I speak to a few of them to this day that are still sick to this day, but are afraid to take that test. ICE reports 21 active cases of COVID-19 at Ottawa, but this number does not include COVID-19 cases among detainees in the sections of the county jail that do not house ICE detainees. Officials at Etowah confirmed that there are cases of COVID-19 at the facility among detainees not in the custody of ICE. Luckily, most detainees interviewed at Elm Unit of Wynn Correctional reported no cases of COVID in their immediate unit, but all reported that many detainees suffer from a variety of health problems that go untreated by the facility, in part due to jail staff providing inadequate medical treatment. These allegations resonate with the history of medical care at the facility, according to Bauer, despite his having worked there when it was run by CCA, not LaSalle.
7: Medical was terrible when I was there. That was one of the main issues. Medical is bad throughout the U.S. prison system, but at Wynn, I think the degree of the problem had a lot to do with the fact that it was run by a private prison company. What would happen is people who had serious issues, you know, it couldn't be dealt with in the infirmary, would ask to be taken to a doctor, you know, outside, go to a hospital. Oftentimes, the prison would not send them, and the contract that the company had with the state required that if somebody is sent to outside care, the company had to pay that bill. So the company was really reluctant, you know, to do anything. Outside of the basic services they had in the infirmary, because it was a massive expense. You know, they're they're getting at the time thirty some dollars a day for holding a prisoner. You know, in a hospital bill could be thousands of dollars for one trip.
6: We came to this country seeking freedom, said
4: Ivan Garcia.
6: I came here because it's a country with human rights, supposedly a country where we can be free, where we can provide a future for our children. The last thing we found here is freedom. Since we've arrived, it's been imprisonment, mistreatment, and we're denouncing that. We're not looking for trouble. They're recording me and I don't care that they're recording and supervising this call. But a lot of news doesn't get out about this center, because when we report it, they cut the recordings and threaten to put us in the hole if we keep reporting what's going on. All these things are happening in this prison.
4: Detainees who spoke to Perilous all gave their explicit consent for their voices to be shared as widely as possible in the hopes that their testimonies may bring about the changes they so desperately need. Some expressed outrage that their voices are rarely heard and that the media fails to tell their stories. We are doing this with only minor edits in hopes that journalists, human rights workers, and others may use them to better understand and take action in regard to the conditions at Win Correctional and throughout the country's vast carceral network. This article was by Ryan Fatica. Recordings from detainees at Wynn were translated and transcribed by Scott Campbell and others.
0: Thanks again to Perilous Chronicle. You can find out more at perilouschronicle.com. Please keep sharing the number for our coronavirus hotline. We'll continue to air messages from prisoners who call in from the inside and family members calling in for support for their loved ones. You can call in on behalf of a loved one, or they can call in to record their message about the impact of the coronavirus on their facility at 765-343-6236. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.